episode 280 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual, it's Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Welcome back. Hello. I stepped on your intro. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it's not uncommon for a little bit of stepping here or there. Um, we are here to talk about game four between the Bucks and the Raptors. Not a great time, let's be honest. Not a great time was had by Bucks fans in regard to Game Four. Um, I, I think the kind of the timing of this, you've been away in the last couple of episodes, and obviously they were up. Right, that's right, isn't it? The last couple of episodes, they were up one one game when you were last on the pod. Mm-hmm. Is that your game one? Okay, and then Scott was on for the really dominant game two win, which that was probably the point where everyone was at their most confident. I mean, I'll be honest, I was kind of seeing a sweep at that point. And not seeing that as a major possibility, I I, I don't know what you would have been doing to be saying, no, no, that's not in play from a book's perspective, because up to that point... You'd say, okay, we know who this team is. We've seen who they've been all season. We've seen who they've been in the rounds up until now. And then they come through a game they didn't play well in in game one. And then they blow the doors off in game two. And now they're going on the road where one of the very best teams in the NBA. You have the whole thing about they don't lose consecutive games. It was set up that they're going to come back for a chance to win this in five at the very worst. And that is not what happened. Um Instead, they, they're coming back in the middle of an all-out war to make it to the finals. Um, game 3 was ugly for the Bucks. Game 3 was ugly for the Raptors, too. But they managed to just eke it out in double overtime. Game 4 was a horror show for Milwaukee. And I think maybe the best place for us to actually start this out with is the Raptors. I thought the Raptors were phenomenally good. And I've been very bold and bombastic over the course of many weeks, over the course of the year, about the Raptors. Um, but I pride myself on honesty and sharing what I'm feeling at the time. That's what I felt with the Raptors all year. And after game four, all I could say is that was an incredible performance. And where the books are now and where the Raptors are in terms of momentum in the series is cause for concern. Um, Kawhi Leonard clearly gutting it out in spite of injury, um, in spite of something that 
at times looks like it's not just you know any old knock um is pretty impressive but then you have kyle lowry my old friend having another great game you have marcus all picking it up you have norman powell just being absolutely ridiculous and Serge Ibaka playing great. Fred Van Vliet contributing. Let's yeah, let's stick with that. Let's start there because rather than just talk about how the Bucks lost this game, what did you think of how the Raptors played and what the Raptors did to actually win this game? And even if you want having missed a couple of games, win the game before. What has been your your view of the series as it has progressed over the last few games? Um, home court rules out. <laughs> I mean, I, we I hope. It, yeah, obviously. I think it's, I think everybody that, you know, when the series switched over to Toronto thought, okay, especially after game two, because that was outside of Kawhi and I'm forgetting already who else was kind of semi-decent that game. I don't think there was actually many other people. Maybe Norman Powell considering his <laughs> play against the Bucks, But, um, I just think I I kind of anticipated that Raptors obviously being more comfortable in their own surroundings and not having kind of the weight of of starting off the starting off on the road to start the series, and then you know we see I mean last night it wasn't just like you said it like Kawhi everybody's talking about Kawhi and you know how how healthy is he? I mean last night it didn't really matter because the fact that you know they score 120 points. Uh, shoot the lights out from three and really just like tore up, tore open the Bucks defense. They had 32 assists on 41 made field goals. Marcus Saul was like game three, like was like kind of like the you know good Marcus Saul game. Last night was the great Marcus Saul game. Like he just him kind of operating in the middle of the floor, you know, behind the three point line, just kind of discombobulated the Bucks. Really, um, I don't know. I, I just think. I think it's not. I don't think it's too dissimilar to how people were feeling about the Bucks after Game Two, really, because you kind of see the best of both worlds. These these two teams are the two best teams, not just in the East but the NBA period uh, this season. So I think it's kind of a little bit of both. They're they're reclaiming their identity, and for the first time all year, arguably, the Bucks don't look like what we see them as the Bucks. So I, I think. I think certainly playing at home has a lot to do with it. I think just kind of over the course of the series, you're gonna you're gonna find out more about your opponent than you do over the you know a regular season. All that stuff. I just think that all has uh, come into play behind you know them kind of reclaiming or reclaiming the some ground, some ground, even eating up the series at this point. Yeah, I think you mentioned over the course of the series. You're going to learn more about your opponent. I think over the course of this series, the books are going to learn more about themselves than they've learned at any other point this season. And I mean, that's probably a pretty obvious thing to say right now. And over the course of the series may not even be as necessary saying in game five. But for me, the thing that perturbed me about the book side of things in game four was... Like we've had a lot of podcasts, a lot of podcasts throughout the playoffs, a lot of podcasts throughout the season where we talk about elements of X's and O's and strategic elements of what the books are doing. And I hate to boil it down to this at times because it seems like we can just be oversimplifying things, but it was painfully obvious in game four that one of those teams 
wanted that win a lot more than the other. One of those teams was more locked in and focused. They are more diligent in everything they do. They were executing at a much higher level, both ends of the floor. And the books are just kind of floating in and out of the game. And you're like, this is, this is it. This is not just your biggest games of the season. For some of these guys, it may end up being the biggest games of their career. There are lots of players who don't get to a finals in their NBA career. Um, even if the books are as good as we've said they are all year and continue to be at that level for multiple years, that could involve a lot of trips to conference finals and not getting any further. Like These games are a big, big deal. And I guess just the kind of the attitude as much as anything else was really, really striking. The first quarter gets underway. Um, Giannis comes bursting out of the gates. At that point, you're like, he's going to score 50. There's no way of stopping him. He looked faster, I think, than I've ever seen him. The way he was moving across the floor was phenomenal. Shooting was going well. Shots were falling for other guys. Uh, Nikola Mirotic was shooting very well to start the game, which we'll get back to him later. But considering that, it's kind of impressive how his game faltered from there. But both teams really playing great. 32-31 um, Raptors lead at the end of the first. And at that point, the thought in my head is, okay, this is about who blinks first. And then when that happens, holding your nerve, remaining composed. And composure is a word that I, I found myself using a lot more about the books of late. Because it seems to me to be the thing that just abandons them first and foremost. I guess it's not it's not strange or unexpected that this team full of young guys, full of lots of guys who've never been here before, would be kind of amped up with nervous energy. But it's really spilling over into games in a way that I feel like if they just had a little bit more control over they would probably be looking a lot more comfortable in this series, not just in terms of the overall series score, but in terms of the way the games are playing out. Because outside of game two, the Bucks have been there without playing well, and you felt like, okay, they could be a runaway. But the point has always been they've had to be a runaway. We haven't had as much front running from the Bucks in the series where you can get a chance to take control of the game, really impart your will on it. And it's just kind of making for a weird mix of what their performances are and what, what everyone's combining to do right now. Um, I, I don't have a whole lot more on that before we get into individuals, which I guess ties to a lot of the rest of it. But in a general sense, what is it you're seeing from the books or what did you see in game four that either is cause for alarm for you or you say, well, this is what went wrong. I think they can overcome that and set it right for game five. I I don't know. I think it's, I, I think over with a series, you kind of have to balance what is kind of crucial to, you know, fixing for the rest of the series, if you want to win, or what do you kind of just like throw your hands up at a, at a certain point and just say like, okay, this is, this is their night. This is what they've done. All that stuff. I think the biggest thing, obviously, for me is just defensively. I mean, I they had the second highest defensive rating regular season playoffs combined last night. Like that's not that's not what they are. I mean, that was everybody was I because I was tweeting last night's game. I know a lot of people were talking about like just how kind of 
clogged up the offense was and all that stuff. And I'm just kind of like thinking like, yeah, like it's, it hasn't been great throughout the whole series in some ways, but it that wasn't the problem. It was totally no, defensively. A, 100% defense. And I know normal I know defense you, shows up. They could have won that even scoring 102 points. I mean, that's what game three was mm-hmm. honestly. And then, you know, anyway, but I know you were talking about too, with, you know, Giannis, like his safer is great start. I just, Kind of thought it was a lot of it was just kind of empty. There just wasn't really something of substance after that kind of, I guess, first quarter. I'll give you know, given the first quarter at least. But like, it was just kind of again. If you're if your best player, I mean, credit to Chris Milton. I know we'll say we will, we will talk but, about Chris at length because he deserves it. Yeah, but I I think when you're when your best player isn't playing up to his capabilities or his limited in some way or whatever. I think that just kind of, it just naturally just, you know, ticks down all the way down the line and kind of results in what we saw last night. I had a, a tweet typed up in the final moments of the game last night. And I went, I went to ESPN, I went to the book schedule and I went all the way through regular season, all the way through postseason, And I had typed up, you know, this is going to be the worst the largest margin of defeat the books have faced all season, regular season, playoffs combined, which it was until basically the final 80 seconds where the garbage time guys got a couple of baskets and they came in at 18 points, which is still would be among their five worst defeats of the season, among their three worst defeats of the season, probably um, Celtics and Magic in the regular season, I would say. But that's the kind of level it was at, that this is this was as bad. And, and to me, this was worse than game one against the Celtics. Um, oh, yeah. Ten times worse. Like, that, that one was worse in a narrative sense of, you know, your first game against a real test at home on your home floor, and you're, you're kind of just completely cleaned out there. This, though, was about as bad as they can play. And the irritating thing about this is it's something that, again, was a conversation after Game 3. I mean, Game 3 felt like it was the worst they could play, and then it was kind of like, hold my beer, here's Game 4. Let's let's get into some of the individual guys. Um, we'll save just general exasperation and searching for later. Will we, will we start with Middleton and the one good part, or will we hold off and leave something cheerier for us to get into in a few minutes after we've done some of the other stuff. Which do you think is better? Let's go Middleton. Okay. Everyone, you've got Jordan to blame by the end of the episode. You're on your knees in despair because you talked about Middleton too early. Um, Chris Middleton was truly phenomenal on Tuesday night. He was as close to a one-man resistance as he could get for much of the game. I think he played very close to a perfect game. And to say that, and his team loses by 18, and he was a minus 17, is really, really painful and says so much about what was surrounding him on the night. He was equally awful to Eric Bledsoe in game three. He's obviously been off offensively in the series, has played great defense, has done a lot of things well. Um, but has it been himself offensively? And look, that wasn't the real mystery, and it wasn't actually something that I 
think many people were really holding against them, at least people who don't automatically hold things against Middleton. He's guarding Kawhi Leonard for most of the game. Like, if his offense isn't quite as good, that's the reason why. And that's something the Bucks have to kind of accept in this series and look to other players to pick up the slack. Um, in this case, I felt like he guarded Kawhi less. It's probably something that worth diving into possession counts to see. Um, but I feel like Brogdon got more of him in this game, which is somewhat interesting, if that is true, considering Brogdon struggles and Middleton obviously being a little bit more free up. That's just anecdotally, that's what my eyes are telling me. Um, regardless of that, I thought he still did very well when he was on Kawhi. Kawhi is obviously dealing with his own issues, but Middleton is just making everything so difficult for him. Then the offensive end, after having a tree of 16 game, the game before, 30 points on 11 of 15 from the field, 4 of 7 from deep, 4 of 5 at the line, 7 assists to 0 turnovers, 6 rebounds. Um, and he played 36 minutes, but 36 minutes doesn't sound as much as it was because I think if that game had been close and gone a different way, he would have been playing a lot of minutes. Um, I think he got a little bit of relief by the fact that you know the books were just kind of out of it and Bud said, okay, we'll sit him and try some other things and hope that makes a run near the start of the fourth quarter. And then, of course, not a whole lot of reason to bring him back later than that. But it was tracking as a game where Middleton was going to have to play crazy minutes. And on the form he was in, you would have kind of said, well, if he does, you know what, maybe maybe there's a way they can have a chance because he was playing that good. And the one thing before we get into kind of more specific, specifics of his game, the one incident, which obviously everyone saw, but like to me, that's it sums up the game. It sums up everything about the Bucks in the game was when he went to... Went to the floor, was it in the third quarter? Maybe the fourth. I think I think it was in the third. And he obviously extends his hand out. Giannis is picking up from one side. And Nikola Mirotic is on the other side. Like, literally just staring off into space. Right beside him, but staring off into space. Middleton gets up and kind of yells at him for not being into it. Not doing the things that the books would always do. Like, this is the books. This is the books since they were bad, right? Jason Kidd's books. Tony Snell has obviously played a major factor in this, but sprinting to go pick up your teammates, no matter what's going on, we've got each other's back. We're in the game. We're all engaged. We're all here trying to get her. And that particular incident I just felt was, it perfectly summed up how the game played out in terms of Middleton doing everything and his teammates not being there to give him a hand. But with that, he was acting like a leader. He was acting like a leader in every possible way. He was the one guy who was switched in, switched on, not just in a, you know, what do I need to do to provide the kind of contributions in terms of my actual play that the team needs, but also how do I try to rally these guys? What what can we do to kind of get some sort of push going? And you watch a game like that, and there's a lot of there's a lot of guys just kind of sulking and silent. And Giannis stands out as one among that. He wasn't, you know, you're having a bad game. In some ways, it wasn't his worst game. In other ways, it was, and we will talk about that later. But bring the energy. Remain Giannis, you know. Remain the guy that your teammates are going to want to rally around, your teammates are going to believe can turn this around for them in the fourth quarter. 
there was kind of none of that anywhere for me with the exception of Middleton, who I don't know, it can probably never be thought of in this way or certainly won't be remembered as it because of the circumstances, because it's such an ugly loss because of everything else. This felt like one of his very, very best books games ever, though. Mm, I don't... Mm, maybe. Has he had a more complete game? I mean, obviously, we can point to the previous round where his three-point shooting is completely ridiculous, but it's it's everything. His defense on one of the league's best players was excellent. 30 points, seven assists to zero turnovers, also rebounding. Just... Literally, he could not have given the books anymore. There is nothing more in him that you can ask for than what he gave in game four. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I don't know. I kind of I keep going back to the last year's Celtics series in terms of Middleton being, you know, idealized, ideal Middleton. I don't know, whatever. But I also isn't think it, isn't it easier to be that guy against Jason Tatum than Kawhi Leonard, though. That's true. But I also think it is interesting that it came on a night where the Bucks defensively were just a lost cause. You know what I mean? Like his burden of guarding Kawhi was was uh uh I can't even string together words right now, but like it was just the fact that he was get going off and the Bucks couldn't have, you know, didn't have an answer for any of the Raptors offensive uh, you know, abilities last time they i think that is kind of interesting that it could be cause and effect or whatever anyway that that is shortchanging what he did don't, last time don't, because... don't move off of that yet because let's i want i'm curious as to that I'm, let's unpack that a tiny bit i'm struggling to recall instances where i felt like he was the issue on defense no 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 yeah i don't i don't mean it like that I just think I, it's a I, get, I, I know I I get your point, and there may well be something there. It's kind of in terms of function. It's in terms of everyone's role being a certain way when when he's doing something. But I I think his defense his defense didn't drop for going and having the offensive game he had is the one the one thing I have with that, which kind of complicates it. Now does. I, again, does him having the ball more, doing more, does it take away from others? Are those his offense, some of the things he did because he found the rhythm, take away from the books' chances of finding their ideal rhythm overall? Like That's a question that's being had about how he sees the game versus how the books see the game at multiple points this season. But again, I, I'm not sure because I don't know if... If other guys were going to take shots or find shots with the way the game was going, like Giannis wasn't just wasn't finding shots. Um, Bledsoe was just straight out refusing to take shots. Miritich was taking every shot until he then would stop taking shots because, you know, it's very clear this isn't my night. I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting point, but I'm basically, I'm just kind of trying to parse through that in my head and I can't, I can't dismiss that, but I also can't find any evidence to suggest there is something to that either. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I'm not like I don't know. I don't mean it to be like a finger pointing thing because I, I'm not saying his defense slipped or anything like that. I just think the, the whole Bucks defense slipped in in a very 
uh, not a catastrophic way, but just in a very significant way that we just, you know, again, second highest defensive rating for a game this year. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, again, that short changes what he was doing second quarter on, basically, where he hitting all these kind of blend of threes and, you know, kind of tough shot express or whatever. But just like it was the most comfortable he's looked at all the series, arguably maybe this playoffs but game two against the Celtics might kind of rival that at least Even I, that's, I just, a, that's a different deal though because that is the idealized version of Middleton that was the guy who we've never seen against the Celtics in game two where he did just go and stand in corners and drain every shot and you're like whoa where this was it wasn't entirely old school Middleton but it was more of a combination of the two mm-hmm. yeah yeah um yeah, well, 11 for 15, 4 for 7, right? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you obviously want to be optimistic and be like, oh, okay, like, maybe this is him getting in his groove, all that stuff. And there's obviously the thought in your head, well, maybe this is the best it could be. And especially oh. coming out of game three, where I know Bledsoe, uh, <laughs> we'll get to him later, but Bledsoe oh, we was will. certainly... We always have to. Was certainly looked at as like you know a, a a low light on it, but I mean Chris's offense tonight that night. Granted, again he's playing against Kawhi Leonard, has to defend him. That's a hard, hard task, but he had some pretty questionable decisions and just couldn't hit anything uh, to save his life during that game. It just was reassuring to see that you know he actually could light a spark for the Bucks, even though you know it obviously went uh, wasted over the overall. This is undoubtedly Chris Middleton's best game of the series. Like we we talked about after game one how the Raptors would feel like they wasted a Kyle Lowry game. Well, let's not kind of go back on that thinking. This is the Bucks have wasted a Chris Middleton game. Um, he was the best player on the court by by a long way last night. Look at all of the numbers and look at how the game unfolded. He was the best player on the court by quite a distance. You just could easily kind of forget that based on <laughs> how every one of his teammates essentially let him down. But it's it's not all that close when you compare him with the performances of everyone else. So, I mean, hopefully it does bring confidence and the next game is like 22 points on 60% shooting from the field and 38% from the field or from deep kind of stuff. You know, that's really good and that's fine. And then if you get some of the help that you should get and you'd expect to get most of the time, you know, the Bucks have been in great position to win. But I don't know if we can expect a better game from him than this. Really ever. Like, this is genuine star quality wings of his mold. Superstar quality wings of his mold. This is what their performance is going to look like. Um... There was just nothing. Like, really, that is the thing with the books. There was there was no help. I mean, not everyone played poorly. This was something that I didn't necessarily feel last night. But having slept on it, giving it some thought, and then diving into the numbers a little bit more this morning to write about it, I said, okay. Brooke, pretty solid. Some really bad fouls, and that was ultimately his big problem. He ended up with five fouls, and he only played 25 minutes. Don't have some of those issues. Books might be a little bit closer. He may get to be on the floor a little bit more often, but he shot the ball well, and I thought, you know what? Pretty solid. I wouldn't say good, but 
didn't let the team down in the way that most others did. Um, somewhat similar story, Urson, four fouls, which kept him off the floor. But while he was on the floor, seven points on three of five shooting, three steals, two rebounds, and a assist. Um, neutral, plus minus. Just looked much more solid, reliable, engaged than basically any other forward the Bucks had and added an air of solidity when he was there, but he was racking up fouls so quickly that then there was kind of, I don't know, the looming tread of foul trouble hanging over him. I think there was a point where Bud probably could have gone to him over Miritich for a little bit extra run and may not have because of fouls. But ultimately, I mean, it's not like Ursan came back for more minutes in the fourth because without going for that, there wasn't important minutes to play. Um, the other player who was actually fine, sort of good, just not what we've become used to is George Hill. He wasn't aggressive, George Hill. Um, he wasn't driving. He didn't drive. He was one of two from the field. They were both three-pointers, but still, in 27 minutes, five points, five rebounds, three assists, two steals on efficient shooting. I mean, the one criticism of him is you should have looked to do more. You should have you should have been the player to put your head down and get to the rim. But with that, I really am out of any sort of even pretense of positives or even neutral comments about books. Yeah, but I would agree with that. Everyone else was, if not a train wreck the whole game, they were at least at some point just completely off the walls. Just, just not the players we've come to know them as or even what you'd expect a bad game to look at just kind of more fundamentally just off in a very strange way um <laughs> where do you want to start with this one we've got quite the variety of routes we can go <laughs> um let's go let's go Giannis. um there's a trend emerging for Giannis in this series more than the Raptors walling him off and having success and things like that. The trend is he is disappearing between between quarters one and four. Um, between the ends of those periods, the middle section of the game, he is going missing. He's finding ways to have a start that's pretty positive at times. He's certainly showing, okay, I'm ready to do whatever I can in the fourth quarter. Um what is happening to him in the middle of games, though, is bizarre. And I mean, in this case, I tweeted about this last night, but that third quarter is the worst defensive quarter I've ever seen Giannis have. And part of that is, you know, a bad Giannis quarter in the past, and at this stage, we're going back multiple years, really, to when they were really frequent things for him on an individual sense. They would have involved, you know, rash decisions just over eagerness, being too aggressive, um, really bad fouls, or I don't know, thinking he could cover more ground than he could. With the way he actually played defense that quarter, the books would have taken any of those versions of Giannis and it would have been much less destructive. Because right from if it wasn't the first Raptors possession, the second one. I believe it was on Kawhi on the left wing. Kawhi might have just been inside the arc, so it could have been a long two. Um, but falling into something that has been one of my pet peeves with Giannis, basically my only pet peeve with Giannis at times, is 
the incredibly lazy half-hearted closeouts. Um, just like I'm going to saunter out here half steps and lazily throw an arm up, not actually go with any pressure intensity, not even really fully extending his arm or or making his size be felt, just, oh, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. Let's give the impression I'm closing out. Just bad, really bad. And considering they needed a response and then you're coming out of halftime, you expect that out of the team generally, but also out of him, it should be a tone setting time. I was like, what is that? Following possession comes, and I can't remember exactly how it works out, but there's there is something of a breakdown with the Bucks defense. And I know Chris is somewhat close in around the paint because he's the player who ends up looking at Giannis and being like, what the hell? Um, but whoever it was basically then comes down the lane and Giannis just has his back to the play. Like he's just he's just not aware of what's going on around them at all. And Raptors go up two easy points. At that point, I'm going, okay, this is really weird. I think he then went down the floor and on offense, he had a really weird meandering possession where he stood out in the wing and I think he got the ball at one point and he didn't look to do anything. And all of a sudden, as happened in game three, the offense got completely static. No players were moving. So I guess in turn, the ball wasn't moving. But he kind of just stood there, wasn't doing anything, and then eventually passed it up. And it's like, okay, he's just, he is out of it. He is just completely out of it. And from that point on, his third quarter consisted of just some of some of the most glaringly lacking in awareness over help that you could possibly see. Um, maybe this is a point where we go into something that's a bit of a bigger discussion and something which a lot of people seem to have talked about. My view of this game was the defense failed not because of any sense of strategy or because of the way the books were playing defense, as in their scheme, but because the players just weren't locked in and didn't execute. That's my view on it. There's been a lot of talk about the overhelping and the degree of pressure the books were putting on Kawhi and leaving other players open and what happened with that. I think there is certainly a plan to show Kawhi an extra man, get help there as much as possible. We've seen it. We saw it work in the first two games. We discussed before the series, I felt that is the best way the books can get at him and really go and win this series. I think acknowledging that that's a thing that they want to do and then also seeing that there's a lot of kind of taking matters into our own hands and making bad decisions going on is important though. And I don't think anyone was more guilty of that in, in game four than Giannis. And look, part of that is he is so good at recovering. He is so quick to get out there, so quick to get back that you say, yeah, he is going to take some extra risks. The problem in this case was, again, I just felt like he was oblivious to his surroundings. So when he was going to help someone, you're like, okay, things have kind of naturally switched, right? You're, there was one with him and Lopez in the pick and roll. And I thought Brooke did everything he needed to do on the possession. And even if they're not looking to switch, it's kind of the two are so close together that it's a very natural, I'm not just going to run away from that guy with the ball because Brooks' momentum is bringing him back. If I, if I stay where I am, 
I'm in that perfect space where my length can allow me to be a factor on both the ball handler and on the roller. And instead he went hard with with the ball handler and Brooke was kind of caught in no man's land and I believe it was Norm Powell wide open in the corner. And there were there were instances of that play that happened three or four times where you're kind of like he just wasn't playing the space on the court or playing the angles that he normally is the master of defensively very well. He was just kind of attracted to the ball at times. And when that happens, it all falls apart. And he wasn't alone in that. And that for me is what happened to the Bucks defense in game four. That's the answer. It's guys making really bad individual decisions that they don't normally make. And again, I guess this comes back to my current buzzword word being composure. Like, I don't know. Is the atmosphere in whatever Air Canada Centre is now called Scotiabank, whatever? Scotiabank Centre? Arena. Arena. Um, is the atmosphere, is the noise there actually getting to them? I don't know. But there's just things that are... They're like they've switched their brain off and they're, they're the kind of things that remind me of the kind of letdown games we would have had a year or two ago where they were playing a bad team. And it's like the focus wasn't right. They weren't properly motivated and they do these kind of things. And in this scenario, you're just like, how can your focus not be right? How can you not be properly motivated? They just need to take a breath and have things go a little bit slower. They need to look around them, survey the game, and then remember how you play, remember what your advantages are. But that, for me, was the thing with Giannis. And I, I guess that's really all I have to say about Giannis. I mean, his, his start to the game was great, but when we look back on that, it was all in transition. And I don't think him or the books played with an urgency to give themselves transition looks at any real rate beyond that. Um, yeah, I, I mean... His offense was not good in spite of his 25 points, in spite of shooting better than 50% for the field. I mean, his free throws are probably something we can devote specific time to in a moment. But for me, that third quarter and his defense just said something about the way in which he just drifted out of the game completely for the middle two quarters. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I thought it was very uh, similar to game one where against Celtics where, I mean, he still produced better than he did at the start of that game, but like still like it kind of ended in the same result where, yeah, he still got his, but it was still not really, you know, impacting his team. It wasn't defensively, like you said, like just wasn't really felt. Like game three, like, you know, yeah, he had his struggles. He had 12 points. He was held to all this stuff and, all, you know, fouled out eventually. But defensively, he was still like rock solid even more so. But, I mean, you know, he's a minus 18 from the second quarter on to the end of the game. The worst out of any Bucks player. That's kind of telling. Um, I don't know. I just think it's – again, I kind of just – I keep going back to if your best player is not playing, to, you know, up to his level, you know, it's going to result in a game where they look shell-shocked at times. They look – they're kind of beaten down, all that stuff. And maybe that's – I don't know. I, again – We'll see if that is indicative of what's to come in the series and maybe it's all hope is lost, all that stuff. Or is it just a self-contained point where you have to, again, you have to, at a certain point, you just throw up your hands and credit the Raptors for 
Raptoring. <laughs> I think I'm prepared to credit them for a lot of things in this game. I think the one thing I'm not is a lot of what Giannis did. I, I honestly think in some ways he beat himself. Um, I think he's yeah, an example of. I think he's an example of one of two guys on the team who. May he's him certainly not to the extent that the other individual who you won't have to even guess who it is. Everyone listening will instantly know once I say this. Drake. Not well. Drake actually factors into the point I'm about to make, but I, I think Giannis got in his own head in this game. Um, and another player is very good at getting in his own head, and I think is in there to a completely different level at the moment. But we don't normally see that from Giannis. And I think, look, this is where um, it's the one piece of it's the one mention of Drake I will allow. People get annoyed with Drake. It's like are you it's just who cares. Like if the if the shoe was on the other foot, who would be saying anything? It's it's really it's just looking for some target for the anger that comes from the rest of it. But the one part where Drake becomes slightly relevant, not in that he had an impact, but he's a very obvious uh, visual reference to the moment. I mean, Giannis airballing his free throw, and I mean the the greater problem with his free throws, which is now stretched across multiple games. He has had problems. He has a bouts where he struggles to make his free throws. It's, I, I think I would say it's a playoff regular. That is also true, but I think the thing that is the thing that is most annoying annoying is the wrong word. Um, most problematic about this is it's not just it's like oh he's shooting bad from the line. Like six of ten isn't isn't the worst. He could shoot worse from the line. He did in the game before, yeah. right? If I remember correctly. Um, it's that there was no way of knowing what he was going to do from one free throw to the next and one trip to the line to the next. It is just completely out of any kind of realm of, okay, Giannis has got foul. What's going to happen? And I think he really felt that. Um, as in, like, I don't know where this ball is going off my fingers right now. I have no idea. It could be an air ball. It could hit the front rim. It could be perfect. I have no idea. And that that just, again, speaks to something larger about how the game unfolded for him and maybe in part how he's processing it. Look, this is, this is new for the most important players on this team. This is still a new experience. And they're undoubtedly learning. They may still learn the lessons and win this series, whether that's in seven games or even really shock us. I think at this point, they come out, win the next two and win it in six. But the way the free throw thing is playing out, that to me, again, is something about current frame of mind you know not 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 wider i don't want to say it's just something about you know mentality i'm not sure any of this does but current mindset where he was at and i think where many of his teammates were out in that game um you could just watch those free throws and i mean <laughs> the sheer anxiety that would bring out in anyone just watching them because it's clear how uncomfortable he is it's clear how uncertain he is it's very very strange um, the books. The one thing is the books really need to get back home. Like I think that's that's something very obvious here. That I think home court can be overplayed in a lot of ways, but 
they look like a team that basically needs, you know, the warm embrace of an arena full of people who are rooting for them. Um, uh, I would say particularly important on Thursday night that even if the books start poorly, that Pfizer form is loud and relentless in their support for the team. Because there are guys on this team right now who look like they need that support. They need that extra boost of confidence in a way that hasn't happened this year. And yeah, Giannis may be the MVP. He may be all-conquering in so many ways, but I'd include him among that group right now. Who next from that group do you want to talk about, Jordan? Um, Brogdon. I think this is a quick hitter. Okay, it's a quick hitter. Um, <laughs> Didn't hit shots. <laughs> We're done. He's, some, he's somewhat blameless in this to me. Yeah. He played the most minutes he played yet since his return the previous game. 37 minutes, double overtime, all of the emotional energy that takes as well. He'd also played exceptionally well in that game and has played great since his return. And he had a night where he didn't make shots. The one thing I will give Malcolm Brogdon, which some of his teammates could learn from, is um, he didn't wear, when he was like 0 of 7, 0 of 8, he didn't wear that around his neck with shame and just pack in what he was doing. Um, he kept going and looking for his shots in his best positions. He drove to the rim, and eventually he did get two buckets at the rim. That's pretty encouraging there and honestly in terms of where they're at mentally and what they're going to do to bounce back or whether you can expect them to bounce back i would have about as much confidence in malcolm brogdon's ability to do that than any other book i think he's he's got a level of maturity this all this stuff just seems kind of trite and obvious at this point we're talking about malcolm brogdon but I, i think it's true i think he's got a a level of maturity a level headedness that you're like he can bounce back from that. We can all point to a pretty obvious reason why he may have been as bad as he was. And to me, it's not that big a deal. Also, again, zero turnovers, three assists, five rebounds. That stuff is not bad. Um, didn't I didn't feel like, again, I haven't looked at numbers on this, so it could be wrong. I could be completely wrong on all the things that I feel I saw defensively. I don't think he was quite as successful against Kawhi in this game as he was in previous games. But again, if he was feeling the effects of, you know, the 37 minutes and the double overtime, all of that stuff, that would be a potential explanation for that too. But not not an entirely awful performance in a lot of ways. He just didn't make his shots. Yeah, I mean... I mean... I I don't know if I could add really much more to that. I mean, that's why the bench, uh, you know, area of the game swung towards the Raptors between him and Hill, not looking, you know, lighting a spark. Certainly not to the degree of <laughs> game three where they basically held up the Bucks. Um, yeah, I mean, bad shooting night, but still kept looking for a shot. That's all you really want to ask from him because he is still hugely important and too like especially I, I think it's important to note coming after double overtime game three coming after you know th- that was his third game this fourth game last night of since coming back from injury the fact that we we're saying this about his fourth game and it, again it happened to come in a game where everything pretty much went wrong for the bucks 
that you'll take. It, you know, you won't look at it as like if only he was kicking on this game, the Bucks could have taken this one. Everything went wrong for him for the Bucks, and Brogdon was included in that. But still, the process in terms of how he was playing this game was still at least a little, I would say, encouraging rather than what we've seen in the past. He was still you know I mean? doing all his Brogdon things and taking all of the shots you expect him to take, which. Again, not something that can necessarily be said for everyone else. So you just kind of go, that was a bad game. And I mean, honestly, this is something when, with, I guess, the overall and reflections on this game, I, I wish that there was, this was a game where, you know, the Bucks had 11 guys play like Brogdon and we just write it off as, oh, that was one of those nights that was a weird off night. Um, I don't think it was like that for everyone else, but for him, I feel like, there's not a whole lot more to read into that, particularly considering um, his circumstances, his recent return from injury. He still looked to do all of the things he wanted to do. And I would guess he'll continue to do that and do it again more successfully going forward. Oh, who to leave? I mean, I've only really got two players in mind for who we're going to talk about next here. Yeah. Part of me is like, I don't want to talk about either of them. <laughs> like, I just really don't. Um, will we go Miritich? Sure. <laughs> Leaving Bledsoe to last does not make me feel any better. This is the problem. It's like, which do you choose in what order? Um, I'm, I'm basically out on Nikola Miritich. I'm fully prepared for him to have a couple of good games, make some shots, um, possibly be a key difference maker in getting the Bucks to the finals. Who knows? Maybe Miritich has really good shots in the finals. I think acquiring him was a really good deal. It was a smart decision. He has just been awful. Um, I've been talking about what just doesn't feel right with Miritich for a long time. Thankfully, he gave me lots of ways that I can actually put words to that in game four because, wow. Um, when you're turning the ball over twice on inbounds passes, that's a problem in the conference finals. You know, not a good thing to be doing. Not even under pressure, not end the game, guys swarming you, just like, yeah, I'm not going to make the pass. I've already referenced how out of the game he was just mentally that he's not even picking up his teammate and Middleton has to basically scream at him. Um, his shooting, like, you're talking open short corner trees. Wide open short corner trees. Gotta make some. Um, and if you're not making them to then decide you're going to take much more difficult trees that are contested and for further away from the rim quite the decision it's a pretty bold decision um then he was roasted possession after possession defensively um if he had found ways to hold his own and he had and we talked about in the previous round so the good work he did in Jalen brown and he's had some good moments defensively in this series um he actually was pretty good in the defensive end in game three although his shooting was again awful this time he was just a turnstile offensively. It's just like when he wasn't 
easily beaten, um, as in easily beaten for two points at the rim or for uh, a pass from out under the rim to an open shooter in the corner, something like that. Um, he was making the worst and laziest possible fouls. He had one on Norm Powell, I believe, if I remember correctly, where Powell got past him. Yep. The it like ended arm up arm bar. Arm bar and it ended up as continuation on an and one. Right, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, what are you doing? Um, why are you fouling him? You're you're fouling him in just the laziest possible way that you are giving him a chance to have three points rather than the two he was going to get just by simply looking at you in the first place. Like, what are you doing? And I'm I'm really I am I'm all the way out. I understand what he does as a player. I understand his value to the books because of the volume of shots he will take because of the respect the Raptors will afford him because of his larger um, track record. But I mean, that's a, that's a longer term track record you're betting on. It's not what he's done for the books. And I mean, look, there is something very simple and it's something that if we don't talk about now, we'd be talking about the end of the episode, but um, now is the time that you make the Brogdon Miritich switch. Um, now, there is an issue with this that every time I talk about Brogdon uh, in any form, when he'll be back from his injury, um, I think this is the game he should be back in the starting lineup, all of that stuff. By the time we finish recording, generally, literally, as, as we stop recording, Bud says, um, no, I'm going to stick with the starting lineup. There is zero reason to do that. Zero reason. Uh, Nico is not a small forward. You got quite a lot out of that lineup and being able to do that under the circumstances you were dealing with with Brogdon, one of your best players out, with Sterling Brown then becoming an issue. But Nico is not a small forward, and beyond that, he's not hitting the shots from the spots that you'd want him to hit them if he was playing at the four, um, his more natural position. He is not a small ball five. and um, This lineup that people keep talking about, um, just, I i don't get it. I've said it from the start. I prefer a version of that lineup that has Ursan. It just hands down. It, it's just so much more solid. Um, the best version of the Bucks, their best five-man lineup, could certainly include Nikola Miritich. The chances of you getting that best version over and over and over again, very, very slim. Because the variance game to game and what you're going to get from him is colossal. Like, he is the one guy when I look at all of this, and it's not. we're not going to get into a deep conversation about free agency but i'm just looking at that and i mean like it's great to have that guy it's great to have that guy as a luxury and i've no doubt he will be better next year and if the books were to let him go he will go off and tear it up somewhere else um possibly in a very george hill-esque way where Cavs fans every time george hill has a game are just like oh there's george hill uh that guy seems like he'd be really useful in the playoffs i mean I'm just kind of exhausted with Nico at this point because I'm I'm not sure what it's getting. And look, the numbers bear this up and have bore this up for a while. Um, for the playoffs overall, he is shooting 30.1% on 5.6 attempts per game, which is the second most of any book. Only Middleton is taking more. The player is shooting worse than him. Giannis. Ursan, which actually surprised me, although Ursan's field goal percentage overall is quite a few, quite a few uh, percent, percentage points better. 
And then you go to Bledsoe and DJ Wilson. So Miritich is really like shooting at a level that is the dregs of this roster. His net rating is the worst of any book playing significant minutes. It's now a 4.8, which, you know, that's positive. That doesn't sound bad. Over the course of the playoffs, that is bad. That is bad for this team in terms of what they've done. Um, his net rating for the series is, of course, the worst of the bunch. The books are minus 9.4 points per 100 possessions with him on the floor. They're allowing 109.8 per 100 possessions with him on the floor. I think I'm done now, Jordan. You can come in. Well, just add on to it. Plus 16.2 in the 100 minutes that Miritich is off this series. <laughs> I have certainly been more pro Miritich, or at least see the function. I mean, I'm not describing that you don't see the function. In no, it. I, that is the one thing I can't see. And I think that's why Bud stuck with him, is because one, you're kind of like, surely this can't continue. He can't just keep being this bad but you're also like okay Giannis is really struggling the solution to that doesn't sound like let's take let's take one of the shooters that we have that will command the most attention for the opponents off the floor but it's what yeah. he's actually doing it's the results of it that are just like not living up to anything yeah I, I mean obviously hot start Contributed to the 12-5 two-minute opening, and then literally everything went downhill and went to Helena, Montana in a handbasket. Um, yeah, it was pretty terrible. I, 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 there's no defending. I mean, literally, his defending spoke for itself in terms of trying to defend Nikola Miritich. And uh, I don't know. I kind of view – I don't know. I, I just see – you. See how it works. You hope for the best because he is a very good player mm -hmm. uh, in his own right. But you just kind of – I get like those mirrors of flashbacks where it's like, well, the, they're functioning better with him on the floor, but he just can't – any shots. You know I, I, mean? I, I just hadn't even <laughs> thought of Mirza. But you know what? You're 100% right. Like I, why why are these guys not working for the books? I don't know. Why can't the books have, you know – Eastern European stretch fours that torch opposing teams. What is that? Well, I mean, they're trying really hard. There's one, and everybody <laughs> always poops on uh, him. But he's always, he's always not so, not so much East, not so much Eastern European. That's he's true. more Southern, you know. It's, um, yeah. I do you think? Do you think Bud will stick with the starting lineup? I hope to God no. I know that's the answer. That's my answer too. But I did well. I mean, I don't. You literally had the best start of the of the no game two was better start. But you know what I mean. They had the best start of one of their playoff games this year because the first quarter has always been pretty brutal. I think John Schumann tweeted last night they've lost, the Bucks have lost eight of their thirteen first quarter uh, or eight of the thirteen first quarters so far this playoffs. That sounds right. I think that's yeah, right. but I mean, there's stuff like they were, like before last night, they were four and one when trailing by double digits at halftime in the postseason. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, which is just I mean, maybe maybe I'm not exactly right, but the fact that that no, even you're, sounds you're right, the you're fact right. that that even sounds right is just like, what? yeah, I, I mean that that points What's to sorcery. 
that points to the thing we've always go on about as this team is just always one run away. Um, I, I think the biggest thing you got to look at this, and particularly as the Raptors have started to find something offensively, it's Miritich is giving, take Miritich out and you put Brogdon in and the hiding places go away. You just can't be as weird with your matchups right away. You can't have um, Kyle Lowry on <laughs> Miritich. You can't do something like that. You'll end up having to have Larry on Bledsoe, um, Danny Green on Brogdon, Middleton Kawhi, Yanis Siakam, Brook and Gasol. And I think if the Bucks force a situation where they can match up like for like, it's going to play to their strengths much more. It's when things have got weird, you know, the Raptors are working on these kind of cross matches that without the Bucks deciding to full on switch, and, you know, there could come a point if... The point is going to be if they lose game five where you go, okay, well, we've got to really try something radical with the defense. We've got to go back to full-on switching. But again, I don't think that's necessarily the problem or the solution. But with the way the lineups you're putting out, you're just creating these bad situations. And it's not even a mismatch that Miritich is going to do anything in. You know, it's it's not like when Miritich has a smaller guy and put the ball on the floor and drive to the rim like he's basically seven foot it's not like there's any advantage in having a smaller guy in him to shoot over he can shoot over basically everyone and in a lot of ways it would help if he had a bigger guy who you know was telling him not to shoot so much you know if the voice in the back of his head was in like maybe just a little bit less here now i say that and we're gonna transition very shortly onto the last player we're going to discuss i mean an important part of this with nico is Look, your shots have been awful. You're taking some really bad ones. Still, when the good shots come your way, please take them. Please, no matter what I feel about what Nikola Mertic is doing. Like, you're on the floor. You've got to take those shots. This is the books as a team. This is the books as a team offensively. I do not care who you are. This is how Brook Lopez has become what he is. Like, if the ball gets to you and you have half a second, if you have just the slightest bit of daylight, you're even just the tiniest bit open, and a possession is worked around. All the guys have done their job to get it to that point. Don't pass it up. It goes for Giannis. It goes for Bledsoe, who we will get onto in a second. Like, there's a difference between I'm not going to take ridiculous pull up trees and then turning down catch and shoot trees. You know, this team needs you to take those catch and shoot trees. Otherwise, and it is what has happened, the half-court offense just falls to pieces because the shots it actually creates, you're not taking. It's like, you've got to take those shots. You will make some of them if you take them. They're actually easier than the shots that so many of these guys are looking for. That seems like the perfect moment to cross over onto our old reliable. Um, the, I mean, there has not been a podcast in the entire postseason, certainly since the second round where we haven't had to talk about Eric Bledsoe. Even when I forget, um, such as the last episode, Isaac then says, you know, I wanted to ask you, I think Scott did this the one before too. It was Scott actually who said it. I want to ask you about Eric Bledsoe. And I went, oh yeah, of course, we have to talk about Bledsoe. So here we are, Jordan, Bledsoe. <laughs> Tell me about Bledsoe. Um, <laughs> Tell you. Why don't I show you through song? No, um, I, <laughs> I think I mean the fact that we can we can reason why things are working well for Miritich. I think this, I think 
I mean, that kind of gives credit to like, okay, he did awful. With Bledsoe, just like, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. You kind of just kind of bank in that he's going to be bad till he isn't. And then you kind of hope for, can he be something? I don't know. I, I, I think the fact that we saw Bud go to George Hill right away Oh, it's got that's got drastic. That that's actually that really surprised me. And for Bledsoe, honestly, that doesn't spell good news. Um, because let's say they lose game five, and obviously if they lose game five, you're at desperation point. If they lose game five and Bledsoe plays like this again, he's not starting game six. Um and that is astonishing for a guy who played as well as he played in the regular season, for a guy who's just got a new contract, a contract that he deserved, a contract that uh, as came up in a mailbag question in a recent episode. I would still say, you know what, pretty good. Pretty good until it could be proven that it's just, still, you know, at the end of that contract that it wasn't, you know. He is still, he is knocking on the door of finding himself benched in a conference finals as one of objectively the book's three best players. Truly, truly phenomenal. Next level blood sewing. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what to... Again, if if you look at game three, and I kind of view, I know I obviously didn't do the p- podcast on that, but I, it's with hindsight, and that's easier to say when after the, or even after, especially after game four, but you're going to look at that as a missed opportunity. You still had, there were still things to glean from that performance with Bledsoe where he's terrorizing uh, the Raptors. He's, you know, finding all these like passing lanes and still like deflecting all that stuff. Last night was just like, okay, he's he pulls up for that transition three and you're just like, mm-hmm. and then defensively you're just like, <laughs> you're like it's just like this, <laughs> just like like you're it's more you like were, you are getting higher pitched every every single time. That was basically it's just like, I mean, I know Zach Lowe had something about it. Teasing his podcast yeah. uh, coming out today, but it's literally like Kyle Lowry. Credit to him. I, I mean, I wasn't as one hundred. Look, move over, Tresky. Let me let me handle this. <laughs> um, all credit to Kyle Lowry. All credit to Kyle Lowry, um, who has now produced at least two very good games in the series. He is getting a major, major hand in doing that, though. You know, I would like to see the version of Eric Bledsoe that held him scoreless in the regular season show up so we could find out of, you know, oh, is Kyle Lowry all of a sudden just so much better than Eric Bledsoe in this matchup? Is Kyle Lowry just this point guard magician all of a sudden? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the answer is still no. A lot of things I've changed my mind about the Raptors. Uh, I was certainly way too hard on Kyle Lowry the Bucks could still get at Kyle Lowry on both ends of the floor and take away from the influence he's having on the Raptors. But to do that, they need Eric Bledsoe to look like even a G League player. You know, to be well, a warrior. When he looked body. in the Celtics series, which was not, I don't think anybody would say it was good. I just think it was like, fine, decent. Like, how about. How about just run the offense and run it in like the most rudimentary way, particularly if you're not feeling confident in your own shot. And there are problems with that because 
as many people observed, he was basically getting the Tony Allen treatment, which mm -hmm. one when that happens, if you're Eric Bledsoe, don't let them give you that treatment because you were talented enough to be like, oh, you're going you're gonna to give me space or invite me to shoot? Well, that's also space I can drive into. You know, that's space I can drive into and when I get into traffic, when I get into the bodies, I'm quick enough, I'm skilled enough to contort my body, find a pass, um, find a way to finish this with a layup, whatever it might be. But let's let's assume just that this is what's happening, that he can't make shots, that he's not going to drive. Um, just take control of the offense in a way where you're going to conduct it, where you're going to encourage ball movements. When you get the ball that you're going to take it up court with pace, if you don't see something yourself or you're not prepared to attack yourself, you're going to move the ball quickly you're then going to follow it up in case the ball needs to come back to you. You're going to play in a style that is just going to encourage players moving and the ball moving. Um, because right now, he's actually acting as a stop when he does that. So, very simple thing to do is play like a point guard. How about that? Like, act like a point guard. Uh, you don't have to have seven assists, eight assists. You don't have to go and score a whole lot of points. But at minimum, just make sure that the ball moves and the players are moving on offense. Make yourself available to get the ball and move. You're one of the team's best ball handlers, one of the team's best creators. That is what your entire function is on the team. So don't just go stand in a corner or don't just get the ball and dribble it for 12 seconds and then go, there's nothing on here, I'm going to toss up a shot. Get the ball, push the pace, pass to a teammate. If they're not able to do something, go back to them. Show yourself. Say, I'm here to take the ball again. You know, just don't let the Raptors settle into a defense that is a wall for Giannis, that is a wall for Bledsoe, and that honestly doesn't have to be moved because the books aren't doing anything to stretch them. Like, that's a bigger problem here. We could talk about what happens when someone like Miritich doesn't make shots and what that allows the Raptors' defense to do. If you're not penetrating, if Giannis isn't isn't getting anywhere and isn't looking to do it. If Bledsoe isn't getting anywhere and looking to do it, that's how your bench guys don't have quite the game they could have. Mm -hmm. That's how generally guys like Middleton and Brooke, who shot well in this game, should actually have a bad game, is when you're not getting penetration and you're asking them to create their shots from, from three-point range. So mid-range. In that regard, this was actually, you know, they got a little bit lucky that both those guys played the way they did. But if you're Bledsoe, just show some purpose when you're on the floor. Just show that you're trying to do something. Not trying to do too much. Not trying to do it all yourself. Just show that you understand that you're a point guard and what a point guard should do. What a point guard can do when you're not playing well. Um, quite literally, actually, have the game George Hill had yesterday. Take two shots. Make one of the two. Have five rebounds, three assists, no turnovers, two steals. You know, just be someone that when you're on the floor, you're going to give reliable effort defensively and you're going to make sure the offense doesn't bog down. That's all I've got on Bledsoe. <laughs> like, it's just, it is, it's very, like, for all of the things with this, the books are tied at 2-2. They have home court advantage. Um, they're a team that over the course of the season, they have... They have proven they are good enough that, like, we can't. There is nothing we could rule out with them if they won the next two games and looked like the Bucks. 
that's not going to be something new. If they lose game five and yet still find a way to go and win on the road and close out at home and they look like the Bucks, everyone will say, yeah, they have that in them. We saw it all year. We know they can do that. But it's all the other stuff that's honestly got me feeling pretty down about it. Um, because they still have a great chance, and honestly, I would still pick them to win. But I can I can only say that for the first time in the series, I am really concerned. And it's not because they're getting outcoached in any way. I don't think it's because the Raptors are a better team. What the Raptors might be, though, is a smarter team, a more composed team, a hungrier team. Um, and I wasn't really banking on any of those things coming into the series. I think talent for talent, and look, we, we saw a full season's worth. Um, certainly, look, there's a case we made. The Raptors didn't have quality for all those games. What could the Raptors be without that? You can make that case. I'm not all that interested in it. I think the books, the books are the best team in the NBA this year on their very best. The obvious exception to that is the Warriors, who, with their personnel at their very best, are just a supernova. But I think the Bucs, their very best, can beat the Warriors, you know, on a normal night, on a given night. They can go really toe-to-toe with them. We're not even going to have to worry about that right now, though, if the attitude doesn't improve. And if all of the things that go with that, just play smarter. <laughs> like, one of the lines that came out from the Game 1 loss to the Celtics, but I think from Game 3 here as well, and probably Game 4, is we need to just play better, play better. They keep saying that, and that seems kind of idiotic. It seems oversimplified, but it's actually not. Like um, something that I continue to realize, and I understand that I'm one of the bigger Budenholzer fans. Although at this point, uh, shouldn't everyone be a pretty big Budenholzer fan? But I understand I'm right at the forefront of that. Um, coach criticism right now is just beyond me. I, I think it's the greatest evidence of just how Jason Kidd broke books discourse forever that a game like that finishes and the default response from everyone just parroting nonsense on twitter is oh, bud needs to make adjustments bud needs to make adjustments there are adjustments he needs to make 100 percent. if you watch game four and you think that's on bud that bud can get Giannis to like just show basic concentration on, on defensive possessions that he can slap out of Eric Bledsoe, whatever that is. Like, what is going on in your head, Eric Bledsoe? Nikola Miritich, that he can just, you know, guide Miritich's hands so he can make the simplest pass he can possibly make, not to turn it over on inbounds plays. All that stuff. It's like, if the players can't do that right, there's not a lot you can do with the strategy. And honestly, in this series, I think we're yet to see the books, the books game plan fall apart. I think that's that's one of the concerns in some ways because I think there are worthwhile tweaks to it that maybe we won't see because you're going to look at this and say, these guys have to be better, right? They, they can't be that bad again. They're going to focus for game five at home. They're still just two home wins away from the finals. I don't know. We're going to learn a hell of a lot about the books over the next, what is it, five days? Um, I don't know. Adjustments. Let's wrap it up on that. For me, the one thing Bud needs to do, two things. One we've touched on, Brockton for Miritich. Easy. 
I think it's simple. We don't need to give any more conversation for that. It should be apparent to everyone at this point. Um, I don't know if Brogdon, if Brogdon's not able for that, or you want Brogdon coming off the bench. It, it has still reached the point where Miritich coming out of the starting lineup has to happen. Um, Again, honestly, maybe that... honestly, in the rotation, like if he starts game five like that, got to look to other things. Um, you've got Tony Stallion, Sterling Brown locking DMPs. I don't think DJ Wilson is a good idea in this series. A great example of this, again, um, none of them are listening to this, but all of the you know wider NBA fans who, when something like this happens with the Bucks defense, get up on their high horses to tweet about, oh, you know, the Bucks uh, is what the Bucks get for not using DJ Wilson. Do you remember what happened? It was his first possession in the game, and Marcus All was matched up on him in the post. Do you remember that one? You may What's not, that? because the game was over. When DJ came in in like garbage time. Oh yeah, I was kind of obviously tuned out. <laughs> yeah, I mean you were tuned out. Everyone was. Um, I wasn't because I was like, okay, show me something, DJ. Prove that this is something they could go to because they could sure do with a lot of the things he offers defensively. But the one glaring weakness he has straight away, Gasol goes, oh, this guy, bang, just like half a shoulder, and he's true, and he lays it in. It's like. Make it Marcusel, make it Siakam, make it whoever you want. You're going to see a lot of that. But if Miritich isn't working, and say if Ursan's in foul trouble like he was in this game, it's probably time to dust off Tony Snell or Sterling Brown. Two guys I mean, who even, can just give you 3 and D play, you know, even, and go smaller. Even Pat's minutes has obviously gone down with Brogdon returning and, and Hill having to rely on Hill. I mean... That's another thing, too. I don't think... Yeah, I think, obviously, Brogdon for Nico is pretty much a must at this point. I think going maybe going smaller. I think, like you said, Sterling, Tony Styles right there, Pat, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a real... There's a real temptation for me to say the book should be looking to have four really accomplished ball handlers on the floor at all time because they can do that with the way their their lineups are. If you go back to your regular starting lineup, that's basically what you get. You get Bledsoe, Brogdon, Giannis, Chris, and Brooke. Um, if you, yeah, if you then want to go to bench combinations, okay. Um, let's say you have George Hill. George Hill with one of the starting back backcourt guys. Um, you put Pat Connaughton out there play Ursa at the five in those kind of lineups. Like this is again part of where Miritich is becoming an issue to me is that you can't play the five. You, like it's just it's a train wreck defensively. You can't you have to be able to hold your own defensively as a as a big who isn't naturally a center if you want to put them at that spot. In fact that is the most important. It's the it's the fundamental thing. When you look at the guys who do that successfully and look at how Draymond Green revolutionized kind of the NBA in a small ball sense and that position and that kind of option, uh, the reason that works is because he's one of the best defenders in the NBA. Like, if Miritich is just not even there, like just rolling out the red carpet for the Raptors to get to the rim, you can't play that. can't play those kind of lineups. So for me, I'd be looking 
four ball handlers and either Brooke or Urson as the other guys. That's now that's not gonna happen. Nico isn't gonna fall out of the rotation, and look, he probably shouldn't, but oh, wow, it's it's tough right now. Um the other adjustment, I don't think we need to discuss it very much either, because I think it's obvious. I've been calling for for games now, um, and everyone talks about it. It's the Bucks need to run more pick and roll, and in particular, they need to get Giannis in the pick and roll. If Giannis isn't getting easy points otherwise, if he can't get to the rim, uh, very simple way to unlock that, get him in the pick and roll. Get him handling, get him as the roller. Um, Giannis crisp pick and roll, I think, could really be successful. Obviously, Giannis and either Lopez or Urson or Miritich, any of those combinations can work. I think get pick and rolls going and pick and rolls where you're you're not working for a mismatch or a switch, but maybe there's more immediate intent, if you know what I mean. I'm not entirely sure on, say, a ton of Giannis Bledsoe pick and rolls to try and get. No, no. I mean, at this point. I want I want pick and rolls that are either going to give you quality looks rolling or really good quick shots. Yep. Um, which again, Giannis with either Middleton or Lopez can give you the shots or reverse around and have Giannis as the roller. Um, also, actually, kind of on that subject, Ursan had two really nice finishes out of pick and rolls where he just dived to the rim and finished really well. And there were two of the few times where we saw a Bucks big of any sort do that. And I hope that gets picked up on when they look at the film and just be like, okay, if Ursan can get those looks out of that situation, um, how about we try Giannis in the Ursan role and see what he can do? You know, <laughs> because it was just like, it it tore the Raptors apart where it was super easy for Lyosova. And you're like, okay, that's good. That's good for him. It's something you could look to do with him more often. But you also have like a player who's, 50 times, 100 times what Elisova can ever be capable of being so much more dynamic out of that situation that you should probably look to get in those same spots. They're the two things for me. Um, I'll add one other thing that it, it was the moment I really felt this wasn't the game that was going to go in any way well and enjoyable. Um, at the end of the last episode with Isaac, I talked about you know more off-ball movement, more ball movement, but more off-ball movement for the players. And cutting being a factor in that, Pat made one great cut and then he dropped the pass under the rim. And when that happened, I was just like, yeah, this is not there good. There it goes. Uh, and that was, that was early, I'll say as well. I think it might be second quarter. But they need to keep looking to do things like that. I mean, if Pat does play more minutes, more cutting would be great. But I think other guys need to do that too. Again, if, if Bledsoe isn't going to have the ball in his hands and if he's just going to be useless in a lot of other ways, um, start cutting right start cutting you're quicker than most of these guys if you're going to be on the perimeter don't just stand there move off the ball try to create something and look for those opportunities where you can get behind and finish inside because otherwise he's not getting the looks in the at the rim that he would like that's me that's what i would do anything else for you or is that pretty much cover no i think that i mean as far as essentials i think those pretty much stand about the rest at this point. I mean, there's going to be tinkering and all that stuff, and sure, there's going to be more DJ Wilson requests probably, but or player X to get more time. I don't know. Oh, look, but, everyone might get their DJ Wilson wish, and it could be in game six, and it could be like the most depressing thing ever, as 
it gets proven, oh, DJ Wilson wasn't the answer. Um, we're not at DJ Wilson point yet. <laughs> no. We're not. We're they like they're the se- series is still in their hands. Um, I mean, I know that again after last night's game, Bucks are still up or plus six in the series, based on what they pulling out game one and you know putting on their game four and game two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's still. I, I again, I, I think coming after last night. I just, I don't know. I, I just think more, the more we like are going deep in the playoffs, the more just like after every game, it's literally just like a player this, like it just swings both ways violently. And you ask like questions about like, oh, is this sustainable? Is this not sustainable? Like when things just kind of happen and things fall into place based on different things that, you know, the team playing at home, the t- being more comfortable, the fact that it's a seven-game series and these two teams are really good. It's not the function of of its part based on the Bucks not playing as well as they have and losing their composure for the first time in all year. Uh, and the fact that the Raptors are getting used to what the Bucks do and exploiting that to their advantage. Yeah, and I mean, look, there are other factors here too. Um, games one and two, do you know what Norman Powell's net rating was? No. Minus 15.1. Um, Fred Van Vliet, minus 26.7. Serge Ibaka, minus 23.1. Um, it hasn't necessarily been the truth for the books so far. Game four was just a bad game for, for everyone, but considering game three, they got good performances out of role players in Toronto. But the Raptors have played perfectly to the role players play better at home so far. So books have got to reset everything and come prepared to be so, so much better. But I think it's very realistic to... <laughs> it's It's not being, you know... I'm not taking too much of a leap to say that all four, five, I mean, of, we'll go for it. Look, I'll leave, forget it. I'll go even tighter. Let's, let's assume Gasol, Larry, and Leonard all play well, which in itself, that's an assumption, right? There's, there's room that's for assumption that. assumption based on two and then the fact that Kawhi is playing on one leg. Right. So, but let's assume that happens. I don't expect... 13 points from Fred Van Vliet, 17 from Ibaka, and 18 from Norman Powell, a Pfizer form. And Powell, there... maybe. No, I don't expect... He didn't... Poor but... man, no. That's what I'm yelling at. Poor man, no. There's still that thing, and I've actually... I've had to edit it in other people's articles, and it's it feels like some sort of phenomenon to me, although it's not a phenomenon because it's very small. It's in, you know, my direct sphere. But I've seen this in tweets before. I might actually go and search it. Um... Every time I type his name, and it, others are doing it too, I type normal Pell. I feel like this is a conversation we had like two years ago. That's right. Well. well, it's my it's my Dante. Every time I type Dante, it says don't. It auto-corrects the don't. <laughs> What's that advice prior to last year's draft, was it? Was that a <laughs> message? You're, <laughs> you're, desperately, you're stuck in a time loop trying to... That's not I fair. I take that back. Dante showed some signs of promise. Um, but yeah, normal Powell is something that I write nearly every time and, <laughs> and others are doing it. I've just searched it here three hours ago, basketball reference entering last night, normal Powell, Fred Van Vliet and Serge Ibaka. 
There you go. Um, Jeff Zilg at 16 hours ago. Raptors guard normal Pell is 15 for 27 from the field. Everyone's doing it. It's it is a phenomenon. Um, Bucks would take normal power over Norman Powell right now. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, on that note, um, not exactly with confidence, but with hope. We'll finish it up here. Um, we'll be back following game five. And yeah, at least two, possibly three of the most important games the books have faced in. Yeah. It goes without saying 18 years, but possibly more because this team does not feel like, you know, a flash in the pan. Um, Jordan's making a face on that. Just now, I'm really on the floor. So we're gonna. I, I can't get any more doubt about the books after that Jordan face. With that, thanks very much to all of you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, Favors and Tunum Radio, and follow us on Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at Win in Six Podcast. That's at Win in Number Six Podcast. Um, we'll see how game five goes. There may be a mailbag or there may not if I just, you know, don't want to do that. <laughs> Very much the case for this one. So it might be more productive just not to have a mailbag. But that's where you follow us. If there is one, you'll have your chance to ask your questions. All Jordan Mine, the rest of the team's writing can be found behind bookpass.com. Until the next time, thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. <laughs>